Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is Hebrews 8. So have you figured out Melchizedek yet? Was yesterday helpful? I hope that it was. And again, I hope you can maybe not get lost in all the weeds of it, but see the big argument that Jesus is a better priest because he comes from a better priesthood. Today's chapter is also making an argument that if you step back is fairly simple. It's pointing out the new covenant is better than the old covenant. That's simple enough, right? The new covenant is better than the old covenant. And that's something we even saw a little bit in our reading yesterday in chapter seven, verse 22. It says, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. And that is what we're going to start seeing today in chapter eight. So let's look at this. And then I want us to make another connection, hopefully very practical, back to this theme that we've been seeing in chapters 5, 6, and 7 now about maturity and how rightly understanding that the new covenant is better than the old covenant should lead us to spiritual maturity. I love how chapter 8 starts off, especially if you were confused by yesterday and Melchizedek. He's going to clear it up for us, the writer of Hebrews. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. If you found yourself saying, what is the point? Here it is. Here is the point. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Uh, Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. And and so here it's starting to get into, in verse 5, they serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things, and how in some way uh, what happened in the tabernacle and the temple uh, symbolized what really is going on in heaven heaven. I don't think that that means that the tabernacle or the temple was some exact replica of some specific room in heaven, but they adequately express the realities of heaven. And Jesus, he is our great high priest. He has entered not earthly places, but heavenly places. And one thing I probably sold short in the podcast yesterday when we talk about Jesus saving us completely because this idea is being carried over. Uh, This high priest seated at the right hand, what is he doing there? He lives to make intercession for them. That was something we saw yesterday. We probably didn't talk enough about that Jesus lives to make intercession for the people that he is saved. Is that an encouraging thought for you today? That Jesus is there at the right hand of God interceding for you? Does that sound good? And so we're starting to see Christ has done something that is good. We have now in Christ something better. Verse 6, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better 
promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So this is pretty logical. Hey, if the the old covenant, you know, which we really see in the Mosaic covenant and the first five books of the Bible, that's even when you say Old Testament, testament is another word for covenant. You're referring to the old covenant and it's saying that was not faultless. If the Old Testament was faultless, guess what? We wouldn't need a New Testament. But now we have this completion, right? And that's where the Old Testament, we shouldn't knock that. There's not anything bad about the Old Testament, but it is incomplete without the fulfillment of Christ. And even the Old Testament itself looks for something more. The Old Testament does not give you the sense that it is complete or finished because the Old Testament is clearly looking forward to specifically a New Testament, a new covenant. And so he spends then most of the rest of the chapter, starting in verse 8, that is an extended quote from Jeremiah 31. And Jeremiah 31 prophesies about this new covenant that will be established. And that's what it goes on to describe. And it describes the superiority of this new covenant. And he says at the end, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. And I think this finds fulfillment even in the fact that I think Hebrews, clearly with all these temple references, it must have been written before the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, but probably not too long before the temple was destroyed. So even temple worship, as people knew it, was about to end and about to be destroyed as the temple was about to be destroyed. So chapter eight, simple enough for you. New covenant, better than the old covenant, better promises, better mediator, better priest, in Christ. So let's again consider that question, so what? And to find the answer to the so what, one should just be encouragement from what we saw yesterday and today that Jesus lives to make intercession for you. That should be an encouraging thought for you today. I hope you are very much lifted up in your spirit knowing that Jesus is interceding for you. But the other thing that I want you to notice is how he describes people's relationship with the Lord in the area in the era of the new covenant, which now Christ has uh, initiated. We are experiencing some of these benefits now. Uh, look at what it says. He says in verse ten here in Hebrews. Uh, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. So, There, we see something very powerful about the new covenant and how it ends the reality of forgiveness. That's a so what of the new covenant, that your sins, you have experienced the mercy of God and God remembers your sins no more because your sin has been dealt with because of Jesus Christ. Is that a good thing? Is that a reason to rejoice in the Lord today? 
Absolutely. And like we talked about yesterday, if you really get that, if you really get that your sin is forgiven, and your sin is forgiven not because you have repaid the debt, but because Jesus paid your debt on the cross, real believers will not use that as a license to sin. Real believers, that will become a very powerful incentive towards holiness. Because what we see earlier in that text, because now not only are your sins forgiven, but God's law is on your mind and it's on your heart and he is your God and you are a part of his people and you know the Lord. That's that's a good thing. And see how that connects with this idea of maturity. Think of children. It's easy for me to think of. I got five of them running around my house every day. Those kids need rules. They need a lot of rules. They need training. They need hands-on instruction and discipline because they are young and immature. But the goal is the older they get, the less rules and direction that they need because now it's on their mind and it's in their heart. It's not just me telling them what to do, but they have grown into a person that, Lord willing, wants to do the right thing. And we should see a parallel between that and and Christians. If you're just waking up every day thinking, well, what do I need to do today? Well, what, 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 are the, what are the do's? What are the don'ts today? As a Christian, you're not thinking like a mature Christian. If that's all of how you view life, what, okay, if I'm supposed to please Christ, tell me again today what I'm supposed to do and what I'm not supposed to do. Okay, read my Bible, pray, serve at church, uh, you know, don't, don't lust, don't lie, uh, don't get angry. Okay, I'll, I'll try to do that today. That is not really what it's all about. All those things are good, right? But if we don't have the heart behind those things that I want to do what is right. I want to do what God wants because I know him. I love him. He has forgiven me. And so I want to encourage you, think like that today. Be a mature Christian doing the right thing because you know that's what you're supposed to do because you know the Lord. And now your law, his law is in your mind and on your heart. You now own these things for yourself. You're not just doing it because mommy and daddy told me to. You're doing it because you have grown to understand and see how this pleases God. And he's put the law on your heart. Live like that today. Read your Bible and pray. Yes, but do it because you love the Lord and you want to know him. Don't lust, don't lie, don't get angry because you know those are destructive things and you probably are guilty in some way for all of those things in your past, but God has forgiven you. Why would you want to go back to that? So Hebrews does get into some heady stuff, whether we're talking about the order of Melchizedek or whether we're talking about the new covenant or these earthly shadows of heavenly realities. But I hope I really do hope that you're seeing how there's a very practical outworking to all of this that should show up in mature Christian living from the heart, seeking to please the Lord every day. And I hope our time in Hebrews 7 and Hebrews 8 has spurred you on in that way. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church, Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.